Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. Um, as almost always, I'm Alex Roy, um, Editor-at-Large at The Drive and Director of Special Operations at Argo AI. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, Senior Transportation Reporter at TechCrunch. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I am sort of, actually, it's gotten a little better. I've been sort of losing my voice uh, ever since CES, which is kind of a, a slog in the best of years. Um, but when you throw a, a really successful, dare I say, party uh, in the middle of it, that kind of adds uh, an extra layer of physical stress. And, and that's, that's exactly what we did. I also lost my voice last week, and leaving bed to go back to the show floor felt like running through quicksand. Well, I'm stronger than both of you, and I'm fine. So uh, <laughs> I do have a bit of Vegas voice, but hey, that's what happens when casinos allow smoking. So um, should we talk about our party first? I mean, it's technically the party that cannot be talked about, but we can give some highlights, maybe. Tiny yeah, I mean- can we mention who was the young man was playing piano beautifully in the corner with a um, a look of pathos on his face through the end of the night? I think we probably can. I will also say that he gets like an extra, you know, high five because uh, several people who had you know been enjoying alcoholic beverages were talking his ear off, and he just listened patiently as he continued to play and improvise. Actually classical piano so i'll say his name okay thank you jesse levinson of zooks for being such a wonderful pianist and 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 keeping our party uh, so cultured so cultured it was it was actually really great and and it was nice i i did i i'm not going to name the person but i did you know kick one person off of the seat next to him because he was really um in a festive mood it was time for that person to move along but um, but yeah, it was great, and and that was an added extra flair to the party. I, I'd say it made me really proud to be working with you two to see John Kraftchik of Waymo, Chris Ermson of Aurora, Sterling Anderson of Aurora, and Carl Yanyama of Aptiv all in one room at one time. Almost at one time, I think Carl left before some of those folks came up. But, but yeah, enough. there were there was a bunch of people. There was a mixture of. Founders and investors, definitely like the bright, some of the brightest minds um, in AV and, and automotive. We had some automotive folks there too, OEM folks. We had, you know, folks from Bosch and um, a lot of smart people in in one room. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to see. You know, I mean, we kind of behind. You know, in the in this format, it's it's hard to know exactly. You know, who all's who all's listening to the show, who all's appreci- appreciating the show, and um, you know, to to throw a party like that uh, and just have, you know, kind of the who's who of of autonomous vehicles show up um, is is really great. And um, we also, of course, got some some great content out of it. And so in the in the coming days and weeks, you'll be hearing episodes from uh, John Kraftchik, who we've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. Very glad to have a, uh, a long conversation with him, uh, Carl Yanyema of Aptiv, uh, who's leading the new joint venture with Hyundai, and also Chris Ermson of Aurora. So um, those are three huge episodes. And like I said, they'll be rolling out over the coming weeks. So uh, keep it locked. Who was the number one person each of you wished you had spoken to in the party and didn't? So I've got one. Oh, yeah? Who's yours? John Hayes of Ghosts. Oh, yeah, I know John. You know, what do you mean you know him? Yeah, I know him. He, I invited him to the party, so 
And, and, and? yeah, John's great. He's got an interesting comment. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. He has a very interesting company that I am skeptical of in, in, in every way, because that's my job to be, Mm -hmm. but he's, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really fascinating company. It's kind of sort of taking an approach, uh, as comma, but a, a different. But why, different. why did Kama's entire team show up without George Hawks? George was sick. He had what you had the next day. All right. So Kirsten, who was your pick for number one guest? You didn't want to, you wanted to talk to, but didn't. So I um, invited Nancy Sun from Ike Robotics. She showed up. We spoke for approximately 30 seconds and then I got pulled away and I would have really liked to have spoken to her She's super interesting. She's their chief engineer at Ike Robotics and co-founder, but she was also uh, years ago part of Apple Special Projects. She was one of the first employees um, and an engineer at Auto and then ended up at Uber. So you know she has some interesting stories mm. to tell for sure. Edward, who's your number one pick for a person you wanted to talk to but didn't? So there were a lot of a lot of people who I would have liked to have talked to but, but couldn't. Um, I feel like uh, Ralph Jill... Uh, mm. design for for Fiat Chrysler. Mm. Um, he he went went straight over to you, uh, and uh, I doubt I would have been a more interesting person to talk to for him. So, but but there were a lot of people. Um, also, probably the person who I I most wish had been there but wasn't um, was uh, Stefan Sells Oxmacher of uh, of Starsky. Uh, I had a fantastic time with him at the party last year. He was the the last man standing. I understand he's. Uh, going through some stuff right now and uh, understand why he couldn't make it. But oh, um, he was, he was raising money and a real entrepreneur. That's what happens. Yep. Yep. I think uh, Starsky is going through a bit of a, a tough time right now. Um, and I, I certainly would have liked to have asked him about that, but I also just I'm like hanging out with him. him. So yeah. Totally biased. I'm rooting for him. Guys, let's move into the CES coverage. <laughs> right. So, while our party was, I don't know, it'd be super cocky here and say it was a, a screaming success. There are other parts of CES that felt a little bit more downbeat. Um, yeah. Who would like to go first with the down, most downbeat thing? Well, I don't know if it was the most downbeat thing, but here, okay, here's my one of my big observations that I started even before CES. So there are about 75 to 80 LiDAR companies that exist today. Um, I got more pitches this year for LiDAR companies than I have ever received before. And it was really fascinating to me because I thought that the LiDAR had peaked, like we couldn't get any more hype around LiDAR. Um, But I think two things happened. In the past year, since the last CES in 2019, when there appeared to be this shift away from, or not away from, but this expansion to not just pursuing robo-taxis, this fully driverless option, which LiDAR what is considered in a necessary sensor to, but also going more towards the ADAS level two, dare I say level two plus. Or level level two plus plus. Oh, or level two plus plus. That's a new one from Mobileye. Um, but that that whole movement of sort of seeing this as a market, a, a, a nearer term market. How can Mobileye, a company led by smart people, have such a fracking stupid approach to nomenclature and and use the level two plus plus. Like why? Because I think that there isn't any, I mean, not to defend Mobileye, but I don't think that there is a good term and it's a, it's their way of differentiating and, and falling short of some very key things probably for level three. 
but yeah, I mean, we could we could beat up a lot of company on companies on on the terminology they use. The point is, though, in the past year, there's been this sudden, seemingly sudden interest back again into ADAS. I don't think it's sudden, but it seems like not if you've been reading Alex Roy columns. Well, or any of my coverage, right? But not not ads. Um, so this year, there are no new LIDAR companies that were pitching me, but they seemed like there was more of an edge. There was more of a push. There was more of a desire and demand. All the booths were bigger. You know, it just felt different. And I have to wonder, is this because it's they're they're desperate or is it because of the opposite? Is it is it because that there is all this positive attention on LIDAR or is it because they want to all these companies know that there is going to be a consolidation coming soon? These companies need exits. They, if they get out, they get acquired because in a couple of years, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's already starting in other aspects of, of transportation. So. Right. And there have been some acquisitions that have occurred in the past year um, or year or two. I mean, Cruz, Aurora, and Argo. Argo made a – did Argo acquire a company, a lighter company? Yeah, Princeton Lightwave, right? Lightwave. Yeah, yeah. So in the last two years, we've seen some of these key acquisitions happening but there's still a lot left. So that was a big thing. And then two two of the companies, I mean, there was a number of companies that stood out, um, LIDAR companies, but two conversations I had that were the probably the most interesting. One was with um, Blair LaCourt with um, AI. That's a so real name. A-E-Y-E. Well, I, I met him at a dinner and then I, I interviewed him. Is that his real name? Um, Blair LaCourt. Yeah, he was one of the, I guess, one of the people on the ground floor at Sun Microsystems. So, you know, he's a big dummy, I guess. Um, but he's been around and, you know, his his thoughts were, you know, hey, LiDAR, the price of LiDAR is dropping. It is going to eventually become commoditized. And unless companies can figure out a way to differentiate themselves and offer things like the perception software, which is what they do. And this is his, you know, he was pushing his company or their company. but. Um, he did have a good point. And you see Luminar kind of doing something similar, which is um, they're offering a subscription, but they are folding in perception software along with LIDAR in terms of the development part. And um, that was really, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm curious to see if other LIDAR companies do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, so also last year we saw um, Oryx, uh, who was actually on this show on a past episode of the Atonicast. You can go back and find that from uh, sort of, I think, the second quarter of 2018. Um, they they just closed down. They just gave money back to investors and and, and moved on. Um, I think that's a really good... Professionals. And and Michael Granoff from Eneve actually said to me, he would give Ronnie Wellington, uh, Wellington money again because Ronnie knew when to call it. I think a lot of these LiDAR companies do not know when to call it. Well, I think it's also, don't you think, a little bit of a difference about what your um, circumstances are going into it. If you're a fairly successful person already going into this, meaning that you've you've got your nest egg, things like that figured out, and you're going to make a run at something, and then it's a matter of, do we just go until we die and there's nothing left, or we do we call it? A com- some companies didn't have anything to begin with. And so they push it a lot longer. And as a result, sometimes they survive and then sometimes they don't. Right. And so we also had um, Angus 
I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, uh, from Ouster on recently. And, and he talked about sort of how uh, finding uh, markets other than autonomous vehicles, robo-taxis, uh, has been key to sort of getting that company, um, you know, the, the actual business rolling along. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here, right? You you know, with, with AVs sort of, you know, increasingly distant and uh, and particularly the challenges on the business side, making money with AVs. Forget forget making a robo-taxi. Like, making money with a robotaxi is, is farther and farther out. And so companies that don't have revenue opportunities in the short term are looking for them. And obviously, ADAS is, is one of the places to look for it. Um, but I think one of the really interesting sort of distinctions in all this is also that, um, you know, you can be getting revenue right now uh, through development deals. But I think what it sounds like from talking to a number of companies, what investors are really interested in right now is what companies are able to get sort of annually recurring revenue. I'll tell you who. So who? why aren't there more DMS companies? Because I was talking to the guys from Seeing Machines and a whole contingent came to our party. And soon, in the next few months, there are a number of like high-level meetings uh, in Europe about what Euro NCAP is going to require um, OEMs to install to, at, uh, to get a five-star rating. We know it's a DMS of some kind. We don't know what what exactly going to look like so beyond the dms companies and seeing machines is the one everyone talks about and then you've got affectiva right i I don't know if affectiva is really a dms company because they're not in the hardware business right smart eye who are in the uh, the uh, swedish or finnish people they're they're in the latest bmw but you know uh seeing machines had a big you know presentation at the bmw booth and our friends over at adam cogtech like why aren't there why aren't there a mountain of DMS companies, and not just building DMSs as we understand them, but the DMSs of the future. Where is, I've been saying this for a year, where is the startup building a transition management system for level two, three, or three, four vehicles, or level two, four vehicles? Like, I just, the pace of innovation there is glacial. I don't understand. I also don't understand why, um, why there isn't a mountain of media around DMS companies. I just don't get it. I'm convinced that two, three years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say that's where all the action was. Well, I think there is. I mean, if I were to look through my, and maybe I'll do this for next episode, look through my like pitches, I'm sure there's a number of DMS companies or startups out there. Or it, really the smart thing would be for any number of the companies already doing like electronics uh, to just, I mean, the giants out there like the Sonys and the Samsungs and what, how hard would it be for them to just throw, put together a DMS? They might already have a product like that. And by speaking of off the shelf DMS, uh, George Hotz is using some code off of GitHub to, for a driver monitoring system in his new Comet 2, is he not? He is. And, and yeah, so, so we met up with, uh, with George um, and uh, they're shipping their new, uh, yeah, I guess it's called the Comet 2, the new hardware, uh, Open Pilot is in 0.7. What's really interesting about about the Comma 2 is that, um, and and George has emerged in recent years. Uh, and by the way, just like I love that George Hotz has gone from being this like swashbuckling hacker to like kind of more and more of a safety guy. Um, you know, maybe not all the way to to where some of the you know established industry safety engineer types are, but like he he was a real emphasis on sort of MISRA C co-compliance ISO 26262, um, and now. Uh, uh, driver monitoring in the latest hardware. And it, it has not just a camera, but also has the infrared um, capability so that it actually works at night. 
and that's um, shipping now. Oh, back up! I didn't know that last time I talked to him that the the in cabin camera has uh, night vision capability. There, there, there's yeah, cameras and and image sensors built in. Basically, it's custom hardware now. It's not just running on your smartphone. Uh, and so, built into that custom hardware, he has um, yeah, full driver monitoring system. So, uh, you know. I don't know how sophisticated that is on the software side because, as you say, it does um, uh, rely on sort of some open source, uh, you know, software. It's got to be better than the absence of camera DMS, which is where Tesla is. I'm sorry, Tesla fans, but that you're literally in the the Stone Age of, right. of, of cognition measurement there. So we have an episode with George that will be coming up in a few weeks. Um, and uh, definitely keep an ear out for that. But I think what, what it really shows is that, um, A, this is a really important part of level two, level two plus systems, which, you know, we know, we, we agree, but also shows it's cheap. I mean, he talks about the price. It's not expensive hardware wise. Um, the software obviously isn't that expensive, like that crazy to develop either, considering there's a lot of open source stuff to build on. Um, and And I actually agree with you, Alex, like given, you know, the fact that, a little company, you know, without much scale doing, um, you know, custom hardware, like that they can include driver monitoring on their device. Um, it, it's surprising there are more companies because what we're seeing broadly in ADAS too is that it's just, it's it's being commodified. So like ZF, um, the German supplier, they want to have a level two plus system, um, the most basic one, but granted a level two plus system for under a thousand dollars, like that's what the OEM cost will be. I've been uh, a prediction, and I didn't put it in a prediction episode. Up until this week, I, I was unclear about the path forward for Kama and what, like, what it would look for them. I think George might have a big exit. After all, uh, I think that the longer level four is delayed, like, in, in to, you know, to get to ubiquity, the bigger the, this market's going to get. The fact that he's put that DMS in there and it works, and according to you, Kirsten. Open Pilot is better than Tesla Autopilot, is it not? Well, okay, so there there is a caveat to that. In terms of actual capability, and Ed was in the car too, in terms of how well it stayed in lane and no disengagements, they were almost the same. The difference to me was that the experience was less frustrating with Open Pilot than Autopilot for a couple of key reasons. George and and we should we I, we have we we taped the whole ride. We should really do a whole episode on it. But oh, we will. Open Pilot, comma AI's product, comma two. It doesn't disengage when you move the steering wheel, and autopilot does. So if you were to make a small adjustment on your own or to change lanes, this is one big differentiator. Autopilot, you can change lanes with it. This will move you over, but you have to look, you know, they, they put it in the hands of the driver. Um, it won't disengage. You don't have to keep flipping it on and off. Also, it's a hands-free. It's totally hands-free. So, um, it's very easy. And in fact, George, so George drove both, but we were all in the car. We were in Alex's, um, Tesla model three with autopilot engaged. Mm. And then um, George's uh, was Acura, right? As a Honda Civic. Oh yeah, Honda Civic. That's right. He used to have Acura, I think. Um, so, and then we did the stock system of the Honda. So, I just it, to me, it just was um, a little bit easier to use. Like, I'd rather personally um, 
have hands free and eyes forward as opposed to, I just find that I accidentally sometimes disengage autopilot and because of the steering, not because of anything else. Um, because you have to have your hands on the wheel. You can sometimes do that. And when you disengage it, it does give this little like abrupt movement. Um, so I, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what you think of it. It almost feels in a way like it's let you're less apt to make a mistake. Also, it's very clear if it's on or if it's off. Like there's no confusion at all. Zero confusion. Yeah, it's it's really strange. I mean, to see, you know, and and no disrespect at all to George Hotz. I mean, obviously he's you know, those who know him really well probably expected this. Um, I have to say, like, it's it kind of exceeded my expectations that he was able to put together a system that um just like it's not just technically as capable as autopilot, but it has these thoughtful little touches in terms of the user interface. Uh, and it's just a little more smooth and, and like more refined, which is weird given how Again, like Tesla's been working on this a really long time. They they clearly have a much bigger budget to develop it. Uh, so hats off to to George and them. I think the challenge that that they face is the fact that you know they're getting into this really commodified uh, business or what's about to become a really commodified business. And again, for if for a thousand dollars you can get a system with you know a three hundred meter front radar and um, you know corner radar for you know four corner radar that are like one hundred fifty meters. Um, all of that plus a plus a mobile eye camera for for under a thousand bucks to the OEM, like that's going to be a really tough business to compete in. So I think he's got the market sort of to himself, certainly in terms of retrofits for the near future. Um, so cars that that don't currently have like this full full featured level two level two plus system. But um, the question is how long it lasts because you know if the suppliers are doing it this cheap, it's just a matter of time before everyone has it in just about every car. The suppliers aren't supplying the software to actually make it function well. Right. I think George is going to have a nice exit. I think he will. Someone's going to buy him because when you get into a brand new BMW today or S-Class, luxury vehicles, the lane keeping systems, sorry guys, they suck. They're just not good. Yeah, I mean, what we found was we were doing this on city streets and um, you know the, the system doesn't recognize traffic signals or stop signs, so it's following a vehicle but the stock system would, uh, if you were on like the outside lane next to a curb, it would kept trying to put you in the curb. I'm not talking about autopilot. I'm talking about the stock system in the Honda. Um, both autopilot and open pilot understood. And we were just on streets in Vegas. Um, a lot of the city streets just have those little reflective bump pods. It's not... Bollards? Um, what? Not what bollards. No, no. The... Bollards? Um, yeah, the dots. Yeah, yeah, the dots. So um, both did quite well on that. Um, I I personally thought that it was very they were so close. It was all about the difference between hands free, eyes forward, and what that felt like, and hands on, and that you know, which is the requirement for yeah. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. 
Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. So there was a lot more happening at CES, guys. Sorry. I know yeah, yeah. There was. We should move on. And I would like to talk about something that is going to upset a lot of people. What? And that was the Mercedes Avatar car, concept car, which I think has to go down. I mean, years ago, people looked at like the Faraday demonstrations, these massively expensive, pointless spectacles. And that's how I felt about the Mercedes Avatar car. You don't think that there's a point in doing concept cars to get your engineers excited or telegraph what you're going to be doing in the future? Let's telegraph what from Mercedes's own tweet about this car. Okay. The Mercedes-Benz underlines the high relevance of a future circular economy in the raw materials sector. Right. Vision Avatar will have compostable and therefore completely recyclable batteries. Great. Vegan leather and innovative wood. So vegan leather, innovative wood um, was on Fisker's, um, what, eight, nine years ago? So whatever. Compostable and recyclable batteries. You know what people want? People want a battery that doesn't catch fire. That delivers range in excess of 250 miles. Yes, but um, the rest of us actually care that kids are mining cobalt and putting it in our battery. I, I'm going to say something horrible, which is that is both true and the majority of buyers don't care. They just don't. Oh, well, don't maybe care the about? majority of, but right now the fight is over. Right now the virtue signaling is between uh, is about tailpipe emissions, not life cycle. You know, if you have a, a diesel or a Gas-powered vehicle, you're a terrible human being. And if you have a electric vehicle, no matter where you sourced any of those materials, you are, of course, saving the world. That is going to change. And also, there's only so... There, it's, it's also an investment of any company. I'm not saying that Mercedes necessarily is... The Avatar thing was done gr- very well. But I did spend some time with their battery researcher, and they absolutely are focused on finding ways to all on material sciences. In fact, and, and, and investing in quantum computing with, with um, a tie up with um, IBM. Oh my God. Kirsten, you're the voice of reason. And so it's my job to disagree. Uh, your Mercedes Benz, they developed autonomous vehicles in the nineties. They were cruising around the Autobahn. These guys brought us the S class. Like where, you know what a real vision for the future would have been somebody Mercedes showing us what a a cognition you know, recognition system with transition management and ADAS 2.0 would look like, and parallel automation and like a multi-mode privately owned vehicle that was like with real range. Um, this thing they brought out looked like someone vomited on a on a bunch of Legos, set it on fire, and put it through a wind tunnel. It was horrible. It yeah. was. It, I think you're just throwing words a- together. In the middle of a of a corporate retreat to Burning Man, and the, I, I kind of I kind of agree with Alex here. Um, I think we're at a point, right? Concept cars have this long tradition in the auto industry, and and I think Kirsten's right that there is still some value 
in doing them because it does motivate uh, you know your engineers and designers and it does but I, I agree with Alex that like there's a limit to this and I think we are at a point now where the future of how we get around is closer than it has been in the past. Uh, things are changing. Things will continue to change. And I think it's really important now to sort of signal what your vision is for that actual transition in the in the short to medium term. You know, you know what really excites your engineers and people? What really excites people is when you see the action at the Amazon Cloud Services Rivian booth. Here's the thing. Did I think that it was necessary to have it as a keynote? No, absolutely not. So my biggest issue wasn't that it was a concept car or that they were talking about how this was going to telegraph. It, it, those, these can be good exercises. The issue I had was that you know there's going to be an Avatar 2 and 1 or 2 and 3 coming out or something like that, supposedly. James Cameron is up there, and it felt very much like this Hollywood um, you know, marketing uh, exercise, which was it just didn't deserve to be a keynote. If they had just shown this on their booth and they had their thing, I would have been fine with it. But what I would have preferred they use the keynote for is to actually talk about the actual things they're doing within the company and the money that they are plan to invest to change these things and to show something like that. That to me would be like, I mean, let's compare it to what GM did. When Mary Barra stood up there, she showed an actual real car, right? We have had other concepts up there, but they're coming to market. You know, Volkswagen is a, a perfect example of that. They're they're finally coming to market. So I guess I think it was just a totally missed opportunity. I have no problem with companies doing concept cars if it if it is a design exercise to figure out what to do next. But this just felt like a disaster. It just wasn't clear what it was meant to be. I honestly thought that Elon Musk had kind of killed, like, for as many criticisms I have of him, one of the things I like is that he has kind of killed off any semblance of relevance that that these kinds of, like, deep future sci-fi kind of concepts have because, you know, Tesla is a company that delivers, you know, sci-fi-like products, you know, that you can buy today. And I think that that's a challenge that the rest of the auto automakers have not really stepped up to. And, and it makes it makes projects like this one just increasingly irrelevant. And also, if you notice, if you noticed on the show floor, there are two, every, almost every concept looked the same. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but if, um, since uh, um, Alex, you were sick and so you weren't really on the floor, but every, so the new concept of today, the 2020s, the 20s uh, concept is throwing a um, flying car in your booth, first of all. And then the rest of them were all shuttles. They were all looked like what, Toyota showed off a year ago, which is the e-pallet shuttle-like systems. Or then the third option was the futuristic sports car, which is Mercedes. Those are the three like things. That's it. All the shuttles pretty much look the same. Then there's the crazy sports car thing, and then you know Hyundai and well, then there was Bell that had their flying flying car concepts. These it's giant a, things. The helicopter. Yeah. Right. Well, there was exactly. there was also the the Sony car. Oh yeah, the Sony car. Quite a conventional sedan, actually. Yeah. What did you think about that, Alex? It was like a lucid air, but not as beautiful. It was smaller, less less luxurious, probably. I'm sure the um, folks at Lucid are like wanting to scream if they heard that you're comparing their car that they've spent years developing with the Sony's car. The lucid air is beautiful, and 
the Sony has like, looked like the budget version of that, but it was certainly more attractive and, and was cooler, made more sense than most of the junk at the show. Um, the who was it? Uh, not Bell, the other Hyundai Uber with Hyundai. their mm-hmm. their like flying thing, whatever. I mean, if I was Carl Yan Yem, I'd be like, well, why am I associated with these people showing this? Thing? Like, come on, I mean, he's he's not really though. I mean, that's like he's, a, he's pretty, okay, sure, it's a completely different part of. Uh, Hyundai's investment portfolio, but wow, isn't it, isn't it interesting that none of the most respected people in autonomous vehicles um, are leading um, flying uh, any of these like urban flying VTOL projects anymore? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand where the why the VTOL thing is is where it is just because you know the big thing at at CES used to be autonomous vehicles and and clearly the air has kind of gotten out of that that hype balloon but the thing is if you look at like where were people actually spending their time what were the things that were really attracting the public and 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 the Rivian. Media? Rivian. Rivian yeah number 1 number 1 was Rivian by far i went i went there on fridays after, when everyone's packing up and they all look like you know they want to cry because they're tired. I like to walk around the floor. That's when I go around and I take photos and I, you know, just try to find things I might have missed. And I'll, you know, by noon on or by one or two o'clock on um, Friday, you know, people are actually starting to pack up. Every booth is pretty much empty except for still the Amazon booth, and not just specifically the Amazon booth because there was another car there. But it was the Rivian pickup truck. There was still a ton of people, not just gathered around it, but asking questions to the uh, the Rivian staff who were there. Oh, by the way, yeah, have have my full sympathies. I mean, they must have had the most exhausting CES of of anybody. Yeah, there was a mass of people. In fact, in my newsletter, I, I put up I posted a photo, and it was just like, you know, I don't know, fifty people gathered around this pickup truck. You couldn't even see it. And it wasn't just about Amazon and and the Alexa integration. And I think people were just really very excited about this pickup truck. And it's amazing to me that now a number of companies are jumping on this electric pickup truck. But I wonder if anyone would have had Rivian and now, of course, the like, you know, the the Yang to the Yin of uh, Rivian is, I guess, the Cybertruck. I don't know. Well, now um, there's a there's the Hummer. Hummer's coming back with an electric pickup. Right, but 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 prior to that, those announcements, it was really just Rivian kind of standing alone. Like go back when when they first showed it off at LA Auto Show. It was LA Auto Show 2018. That there was no one else. Right. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, right? People buy a lot of pickups in this in this country, in particular. Uh, the EV market is clearly a premium market in this in this country at this point. Uh, yeah, it's almost amazing why why it took so long. And and frankly, I think that Tesla's sort of I don't know. I, I hesitate to call it jokey, but um, let's say controversial approach uh, to this segment may not end up aging real well because if, if, if electric pickups take off real well, um, if, if that market segment continues to develop as it, as it looks like it will based on just the response that we're seeing and hearing about to Rivian uh, and, and also the other investment in the space, uh, you know, that, that Cybertruck is not a real mainstream product. Disagree. I, I think it's going to be hot. Okay. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, well, I think the Hummer is a perfect example of how it could it could end up being hot, but we'll see. I mean, 
a number of other companies are jumping in. It just still surprising to me that like Ford or GM, which, you know, is particularly Ford, and I know that they are going to now do an F-150 type product um, that's electric, but that they weren't on this, you know, five years ago because it's the number one selling car or vehicle yeah. in North America. Yeah. Did you read the article about uh, speculating that Tesla would discontinue the Model S and X? I did not, but I mean, but Elon Musk did say that that they're not important to the future of the company at this point. Yeah, he's talked about that a number of times. I see. Um, yeah, so Alex here with all the old news. Cell operation, and I saw that on the list of topics from the show, and I was ho- I thought it said teleportation. I got, I'm like, what did I miss? Um, too bad. Nothing that exciting. Mm. Well, it was uh, so teleoperation. I think is another example of what LIDAR is going through, teleoperation is going through. Ed, we were talking about this earlier, um, and you spent some time with Phantom Auto, so maybe you could... What are you thinking? Yeah, um, yeah. we'll we'll have a full episode with Phantom Auto, but they really um, struck me as a company that they, they've had to adjust their business plan a little bit. Um, they've gone from sort of um, a complete end-to-end product for remote driving of um, robotaxis in particular, a uh, fairly, fairly specialized product. And again, sort of built on this assumption that, that robotaxis would be here kind of by now, right? Because they debuted a couple years ago. Um, and uh, that has, as that has not developed, they've had to pivot a little bit in that they've sort of stripped away some of the kind of added value stuff that they were wanting to do in order to make the product more flexible. So they've really stripped it down to the core IP, which is about um, you know, bridging, uh, mapping and, and, and bridging, uh, cell, uh, uh, service. And so, um, they basically turned it into a, just a, uh, you know, an SDK, a software development kit, um, that, uh, allows them to deploy in all kinds of different, uh, uh, applications, including, uh, one of the big projects right now is, is, uh, Postmates delivery robots, uh, in the Los Angeles area with uh, with Postmates, um, who also you can, can learn more about on a, a past episode of the Atonicast. Um, and uh, and and so so by stripping it down to just the core uh, uh, communication protocol software, essentially, um, you know they've they've broadened the market, they made it more flexible, they've allowed customers to integrate it without having to necessarily change their system too much. Um, and so I think. That's interesting. They, and they also, um, look, they, they told me, you know, we've always been in the uh, autonomous vehicles are not all the way done yet business, um, which is an interesting way of putting it. And um, I think there was, you know, clearly they saw, you know, uh, uh, hints that this could take longer uh, a couple of years ago when they, when they started the company. Um, clearly, they've turned out to be right about that. Um, and uh, so beyond even sort of deployment, and, and this kind of gets to, Something we were talking about earlier, they they really feel like you know um, they're successful right now because they have more than just development deals. They're actually getting recurring revenue, um, and they're doing it by uh, by working with companies in a number of different fields, um, from AV development all the way to um, just remote teleoperation. So essentially, um, uh, uh, labor arbitrage. You know, if you have a factory in, a, in an expensive area, I mean, a, a warehouse in an expensive area. Uh, you can have much cheaper employees working on it from thousands of miles away. So it seems like there's two things that are happening right now as a result of this. I'm not going to say trough of disillusionment anymore. I just think that like 
the realities of how expensive it is for AV companies to um, actually reach their goals and deploy a product. And as a result, it's impacting all these other companies down the supply chain. So what's happening now within the industry is that there's the companies that have enough money that are highly capitalized to go for the, the, the big goal. And they don't have to worry about this reoccurring revenue. And then all these other companies, more of the startups that are, are just going for more of they're, they're altering their business model. And I'm one like, so on the teleop, Phantom Auto being a, a prime example, do you think that this is going to hurt innovation or help it? This new reality, because in, on one hand, you don't have, you know, 500 companies working on the big goal anymore, right? Or aiming for the big goal. In a capitalist system, companies have to fail so that ideas can be reborn. Failure is fine. I'm talking more about is it is it hurting or helping innovation that the way that this is now startups are going, okay, I've got to, I can't just work on this one bigger challenge. I've got to think about reoccurring revenue. So I'm going to pivot a bit or I'm going to change my business model a bit. You know, the teleoperation teleoperation being one example. So I, th- I think it's a good thing. Um, and I don't know that it, it hurts or, or helps innovation per se, but it definitely uh, encourages pragmatism, which is something that the space hasn't always been overly blessed with. Um, I think we've seen you know, a lot. And, and again, today from some companies still, we hear really optimistic um, you know, goals set. And frankly, one of the things that's really interesting, you know, hearing from a bunch of companies in the space talking about what a tough fundraising environment it is right now, and then turning around and seeing Tesla at, you know, however many hundreds of dollars a share is it's a, a disconnect I'm still still wrapping my mind around. But I think I think look, a lot of companies got into this business. Uh, a lot of companies were started based on the assumption that, you know, this is a pure tech problem and we just address this pure tech problem and, you know, the business part will take care of itself. Well that's that's never really the case, or almost never. And so um, I think it's it's you know seeing companies being encouraged and incentivized to pursue real business models is good because it's going to help them narrow in on sort of how to actually develop, you know, just not just technology but increasingly a real product. And so I think it's a necessary part of this process. The market is uh, still SoftBank throwing cash at companies in various sectors. And just distort, just wasting time and distorting it for everybody else. Well, maybe, but you also sometimes we we know that AV companies require a lot of money for what they're doing. I have one more question before we we leave our audience for you, though. Hang on, I actually have a question for you, Kirsten, really quick. Okay. Do you do you think that there are companies that are big enough uh, in the AV space specifically um, that they have enough revenue? I'm sorry, they they have both. Um, they have enough cash saved up. Uh, to get to a viable business, um, so that their runway is long enough that that before they reach the end of that runway, they will have they will be a self sustaining business. Like I'm not convinced that any company is. So not Waymo or Cruise. Well, so Waymo has a has a potentially like endless source of of cash from from Google, right? I bet you it's not endless. Well, I mean, if there's a if there <laughs> any you know what comes closer to an endless source of capital than Google's you know ad business like that, it's just. Yeah. It's it's hugely profitable, both in terms of scale and margins. Like it's just a- yeah. I mean, it's the the runway is it's hard to see the end of that. So yeah. So Waymo and you're saying Cruise is in the same position, Alex. I'm I didn't say that. I'm oh. not sure. I'm not sure that they are. 
I mean, well, I mean, so they have bank company, right? And if SoftBank raises another vision fund, then maybe they'll get more capital from there, but they'll still need more capital. Just like Waymo will need more capital. It'll just come from Google. They just have an easier source of it. I'm well, wondering. So I've been focusing. No, so here's the answer to your question. I don't know if it's going to necessarily mean, well, maybe. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the companies aiming for robo-taxi services, but I think that the companies, and I've been kind of like scouting out who these companies are, um, like identifying these companies, but um, in, in the gold rush in like during the four, 49ers, right? So a lot of the money that was made wasn't necessarily in the people who were mining. It was the people selling the picks and in access, the, you know, the picks and shovels. And so to me, it's going to be like, who's in the picks and shovels business? And can, do they have enough of, and, and are they um, specific enough that even if robotaxis take a long time to get on the market, they're still bringing in money? And so a company, you know, I can think of a couple, but um, that is one area that I think, and I would originally put teleoperation in there, but there wasn't a way for them to make enough money on the development side. Yeah. It just didn't quite work out. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to identify. All right. We need to wrap this up, my friends. Alex, do you have an answer for my question? Do you think there, do you think there are companies that, that, you know, in the level four business, particularly that have, you know, enough, not just enough runway, but also a, a clear enough sense of, of what a self-sustaining business model is going to be to get there without well, raising I, more cash. I have an opinion, but I know too much. I mean, when we run, roll out our craft chick interview, we'll learn a little bit more about what Waymo's doing. Um, I mean, there's, uh, there's some smart people there and some good ideas there. Like I could see a path forward for Argo where I work, <laughs> Um, but Argo is not a, the only one trying to deploy such a model. Um, I mean, the questions are: if you're partner, if you're not partnered with an OEM, I don't understand how you're going to scale. Um, if you're not doing multiple markets, I don't understand how you're going to scale. But the long game is going to be government relations. Is government relations plus an OEM relationship? And if you don't have both those things in place, there is no business model, in my opinion. Okay, last question, and it, keep it short. Would you change, we had our predictions episode a couple of weeks ago, based on what you saw at CES and the people you talked to at our party, whose conversations we cannot, um, we cannot share because it was an off record event, but based on all that information, would you have, would you change your predictions at all? Like, as I definitely would change one of them. Okay. What? One. You, you can pick one and keep it to a 20 second answer. Yeah, I, predi- I predicted that the California Public Utilities Commission would be you know, pressured by the industry to allow them to uh, run commercial uh, robo-taxi pilots. Um, I have been convinced, shall we say, that um, I was way too optimistic about that. Uh, so I'm going to back away from that one for sure. Alex? No, I, I'm, I'm often right. I'm mostly correct. Oh, Okay. And- and I never I doubt any of my predictions. I'm often in doubt. Um, mm. I think I've been pretty right in recent years. So. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Well, and... oh, wait. Yeah. Kirsten, answer your oh. own question. <laughs> well, I too am also always right. Um, no, there, there are a couple things on timelines and a couple of companies, not so much changes in predictions, but a couple of companies that I uh, didn't maybe take as seriously that I'm going to have to focus more attention on. Who they are, Kirsten? No, because I'm working on some stories about them. What about? But what about sharing more, Kirsten? 
<laughs> she knows too to much, Alex. She knows yeah. too much. No, you'll have to wait till a future episode of the Atonicast. So keep listening. I guess we should wrap it up right here. All right. Um, well, thanks for listening to the Atonicast, and please come back again. And they will, because I'm Alex Roy, editor at large for The Drive and director of special operations at Argo AI. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, senior reporter at TechCrunch, and you can find me at Kirsten Korosek on Twitter. I'm Ed Edermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. You can find me as well on Twitter at Tweetermeyer. And now we... You can find me at AlexRoy144 on all platforms. And now we definitely need to go because I'm actually losing my voice now.